Welcome to Sea of Fire Ministries with James Myers. In this series, we are studying the book of Acts. Today we discuss Paul's longer defense before Agrippa II. James discusses Paul's testimony and how a pierced conscience without salvation is merely shame. You can find out more about our ministry by visiting us at seaoffire.org. You can also view James's latest videos on YouTube at Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope this message serves to strengthen and build up the church. All right, so we're starting at chapter 25, verse 23. We'll read all of uh, chapter 26. So the next day, when Agrippa and Bernice had come with great pomp and had entered the auditorium with the commanders and the prominent men of the city, as at Festus's command, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all the men who are here present with us, you see this man about whom the whole assembly of the Jews petitioned me, both at Jerusalem and here, crying out that he was not fit to live any longer. But when I found that he had committed nothing deserving of death, and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I decided to send him. I have nothing certain to write to my Lord concerning him. Therefore I have brought, out, brought him out before you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the examination has taken place, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not to specify the charges against him. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are, you are expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore I beg you to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify, that according to the strictest sect of our religion I lived a Pharisee. And now I, now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by, my God, by God to our fathers. To this promise our twelve tribes, earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem. Many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death... I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. While thus occupied as I journeyed to Damascus, with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles, to whom I now send you, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the regions of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. For these reasons the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses would come, said would come, that the Christ would suffer, 
that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Now as he, now he, as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. But he said, I am not mad, most, most noble Festus, but speak the, word, the words of truth and reason. For the king, before whom I also speak freely, knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escape his, escapes his attention, since the thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you, believe the, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today, might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. When he had said these things, the king stood up, as well as the governor and Bernice and those who sat with him. And when they had gone aside, they talked among, the, among themselves, saying, This man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. Then Agrippa said to Festus, This man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Let he who has ears to hear the word of God, let hear it. Father in our God, as we continue the testimony of your servant Paul, and finally as he testifies before a king, as you yourself declared he would. I ask that you open our eyes, that you fill our minds, and you fill our hearts, and you fill our souls with your truth, your word, and your testimony. Your will being done in and through your servants is a testimony to your servants. So now, God, open our ears, open our eyes to your wonderful truth and to your glory world without end. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. So, briefly, remember last week we talked about Agrippa and the incestuous relationship with he and his sister Bernice, right? So, going into this, I do want to say that Agrippa, as I mentioned, wasn't as terrible as his father, wasn't as tyrannical, but he has some resemblance, which we'll, which we'll see. However, he really, he seems to follow the customs of Judaism. His father did too. He at least wanted to. He desired to. Um, so he does know the prophets. He does know the word of God. But as I mentioned last week, he's a nominal Jew with this incestuous relationship, which we will get to at the end of this chapter. However, so he comes out. You know, Festus says, you know, remember last week, um, he had told Agrippa about everything he, that had gone down, you know, once Agrippa came and visited. And then Agrippa said, I want to hear him for myself. And he says, tomorrow, you shall hear him. So now it's tomorrow. Now, so Festus is bringing them all out. And now Agrippa and Bernice come out with great pomp. Remember, his father came out with that shining garment, great pomp. This word is literally fantasia. So it's like this fantasy thing. I mean, it, you, you just go all out. This is a whole procession. It's this whole ordeal making it out to be the king has arrived. The king is here to render judgment this wise and noble king is coming out and he's making all the pageantry. He's making a show just like his father. Remember when we looked at him at the amphitheater, he was always giving these shows. So his, his son is similar in that regard. So comes out with great pomp and entered the auditorium with commanders and the prominent men of the city. At Festus's command, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa and all the men who are here present with us, you see this man who, about whom the whole assembly of the Jews petitioned uh, pre present with us. You see this man about whom the whole, I'm sorry, petitioned me both at Jerusalem and here crying out that he was not fit to live any longer. Remember, he had gone and visited Jerusalem. They told him there, 
a bunch of you know slander that basically saying that he's right raising up all these tumults all these mobs so he's not fit to live any longer so he, he told them at jerusalem and there at caesarea but when i had found that he had committed nothing deserving of death so again he's admitting that and that he himself had appealed to augustus after he wanted to deliver them to the jews i decided to send him he really had nothing no other decision to give once once you appeal to caesar to caesar you must go but he's, anyway, uh, I have nothing certain to write to my Lord concerning him, because again, he, so, and then he'll say, if I find it unreasonable to send a prisoner and not to specify the charges against him, he would be looking at some sort of discipline, you know, might just be, you know, like a demotion kind of a thing. But if you send out a prisoner, in other words, if you're not executing justice, if you're not even doing that, which would procure peace, but in other words, if you did not set this prisoner free when they were totally innocent, and then you're just sending them off to Augustus, and you and basically Festus has nothing to write because there are no charges left. Paul is completely innocent, and so he brings this king, and we'll see after this account, he still has nothing to write. There are no charges against Paul, none certainly deserving of death, so he will still have nothing to write. But right now. That's where he is. He's at an impasse. He, he has to send this prisoner, but now, <laughs> you know, as far as his political role, you know, he's looking at sending him out without any charges, really kind of reflective of my lacking the, the, the ability and the capacity to exercise actual justice and to govern this area. So that's what's going on. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. I, I've told you this would be this would, it's customary at that time. This was proper. He's a learned and educated man, so he knows what to do when it's time to speak. This will quiet down the crowd. He's basically making a point that I'm about to speak. Okay. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are expert in all customs and questions which, you, which have to do with the Jews. Remember last week that you know, the, the Jews were puffing up Festus, and even the week before, Tertullus really puffed up Felix. You know, so that's, but that is not what Paul is doing. Paul has been in prison for two years and, and still got injustice at the hands of Festus. And so now he's, he's happy. He's like, Agrippa, I know at least you know these customs. You're familiar with Judaism. Your father was familiar. Once he died, you weren't yet old enough become, to become the Herod. So, but once that happened, and I know you, know you know your scriptures, and you, know, you care about the Jews to some degree, but you know, I'm happy because I know you know about this stuff. This Festus character doesn't know anything about this. So I'm very happy to finally speak to someone who knows about these things, who really is, is familiar with them. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation, as all the Jews know, we had talked about that. He was raised in Jerusalem at the feet of Gamaliel. Very well learned, very well trained, and all the Jews know it. They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify, because that was never part of their testimony. You never heard that. I had said that really on the, on the stairs, you know, but y'all uh, had never heard that from the Jews. 
They knew, knew, they knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. Okay, I do want to, because this is kind of the last time we'll see Pharisees in the book of Acts. We, 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 we have our own feelings about the Pharisees, and I just want to remake the point that after the captivity, once they're delivered out of the captivity, the, the, the Pharisees were kind of the conservative Christians of the time. The, the people came back, and they were completely degenerate. And so there was kind of a reformation deal. The Pharisees went back to the fountain. They, they went back to the Word of God. They wanted the Word of God to, kind, to finally take hold of the people. Then they went overboard. And then they started commanding, uh, you know what, let's quickly. Matthew chapter 23, uh, verse 1 through 12. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe... That observe and do, but not do not do according to their works. For they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at the feast, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Real quickly, there's so much here, but I just wanted to show you what the, what the Pharisees, what Jesus is saying is, Obey what they do. What, obey what they say, because they are saying according to the scriptures, but not according to what they do. They keep on hoist, foisting all these heavy burdens on men, which they themselves don't carry. They pretend to carry when they're, when they're around other men. So do as they say, but not as they do. The Pharisees were faithful to re, to return to the word of God, but then they made it a burden and not a blessing. They made, and that's what Christ says: My burden is light. You know, walk, you know, walk with me, follow me. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. The, the Pharisees were laying heavy burdens over and above what the Word of God expects from His people. God expects faith from His people. Trust and abiding faith in His promises and to believe. That is all. That is all. All your works are but filthy rags. That will not save you. Okay. And we'll get back to that. But again, going back to, we don't serve God. We don't, we don't try to work out righteousness because we fear hell. We seek righteousness. We might get that crown, but that we can conform, that we can be more conformed to the image of our Savior. That is our calling. With their great intention, they missed Christ. They missed the salvation. They missed the spirit of the word of God. They saw what it said, they saw the notitia, they assented to it, but they didn't have faith. Most of them. But again, these were faithful men. I just wanted to make that a point at the, at, at the finality of basically considering Pharisees, in the book of Acts anyway, um, that again, these were, these were well-intentioned men, and that's why Paul was a part of that sect. Okay. And now I stand and, and am judged for the hope of the promise made to God our fathers. 
So again, you know, I am judged for the hope of the promise made to our fathers. This isn't new. This isn't new. I'm being judged for the same thing that especially the, the sect of the Pharisees believe in, the resurrection, all that the prophets said. To this promise are 12 tribes, which who have we seen, earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain this promise, the promise that God has made. First of all, that I will never, never leave you nor forsake you, but what he will go to specifically is the resurrection. But he is talking about all the promises that God made throughout his testimony. So, and Paul is saying, I believe in all of those. I still believe in all of those. I see them fulfilled in Christ, but I, I believe in all of those. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? See, this is where y'all is helpful. You know, for all the Texans, or all the, all the non-Texans out there, y'all are losing out on vocabulary because this you is actually plural. So he's not just talking to King Agrippa here. So he's basically really, why should it be thought incredible by y'all that God raises the dead? And basically what he's saying is, this is unreasonable, really. You know, whatever, you know, whatever pantheon of gods that you have, if you're really believing in this all-power supernatural being and you, and you think that he is utterly powerless to raise people from the dead, you have a small thought of God. Or you have a small God. Whatever it is, it's not the God who is. So basically, why should it be, incre why should it be thought incredible by y'all that God raises the dead? That's foolish. Indeed, I myself, thought, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison. Again, he's going back to, hey, I was hostile. I was doing the same thing that the Jews are accusing, you know, the same thing. You know, that, that hostility. Um, even in Jerusalem. Having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I cast my foot vote against them. So, we saw him with Stephen. And this is our indication that it didn't only stop with Stephen. He cast his vote again. Now, this, this suggests he could have been part of the Sanhedrin, but I doubt it. I think he was an author authoritative uh, figure, but not in the Sanhedrin. But he did cast his vote uh, for execution. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled, and compelled them to blaspheme. What he's saying is now he knows it's blasphemy because what he did and what they were doing is going around just like we see, you know, parts today, going and telling them to deny Christ, to denounce Christ at the point of death, at the, at the threat of death, at the point of the sword. And we will see later martyrs, when we talk about martyrs, that is exactly what they're called to do, to deny Christ. And they rather give up their lives than that to deny their Savior. While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from, and commission from the chief priests, O midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. So all of, these, all of this obviously recounts Damascus. However, he does go into more detail. And when we all fell to the ground, now we did see that they had all fallen to the ground, and I wanted to wait until this point to share with you that I think that this means that all those other men were saved. They all fell to the ground. They all saw that light, and they all helped Saul to Damascus. They were all saved by that light. They didn't, understand, they didn't know the voice, but Saul did, and he testified to them what the Lord of glory, which they themselves had witnessed, had said to him. So... 
it, it, is, it might be conjecture, but I don't think it's far-fetched conjecture that every one of the men that were with him were also saved. They were all fall, fallen to the ground. I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, this is the first time we, we see that Jesus was speaking to him in Hebrew. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. We've seen that. So I said, who are you, Lord? We've seen that. And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. We've seen that. Now, but rise, stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. So, you've fallen. You've fallen in submission and in salvation. Now rise. Rise up in me, just like he will raise us up on that last day into him, into his presence. That is exactly what Jesus is saying. You have fallen, you have submitted, you are saved. Now rise. Rise to your calling. Rise to your purpose, to the calling that I have called you to. Rise up, stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness so minister and a witness, they're, they're, two total, they're different, right? A minister exhorts and he preaches the word of God. A witness just tells you what they've seen and heard. And that's exactly what he tells, he tells them. A witness both of the things which you have seen, so even this, and of the things which I will yet reveal to you, which is plenary, which is plenty. So many times he comes and visits it so many times too. So, I will deliver you from the Jewish people, as well as from the Gentiles, to whom I now send you, to open their eyes, in order to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins, and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, what Paul is suggesting here, is that Christ has called him to, to, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. So he's saying, you know, Jesus said, to whom now I send you to do this, to open their eyes. The minister, the herald, is called to preach and minister the word of God so that God opens the eyes. So he's saying, I'm sending you to open their eyes as a conduit, as a means. You are my man, just like we've seen in the book of Judges, or in Joshua and Moses, all of his faithful servants, he fills with himself to testify to him, to open blind eyes, to turn people from darkness to the light, to turn people from Satan to God. Remember, repentance is a turning from, salvation is a turning to. We turn from sin and darkness and Satan to God, and to Christ, through Christ our Savior. So that's what he's saying, though. I'm sending you through me to open their eyes. And by the way, remember, he's blinded at this point. So it's kind of ironic. You know, I'm going to send you out to go open their eyes while you can't see. Okay. I mean, it's just, there's a lot here. But so, uh, but God is faithful and that's what he's telling him. I'm sending you to open their eyes. This is my purpose for you because this is my call. This is my purpose. I have sent the spirit. I've, 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 been crucified, I suffered, I died, I rose, I ascended, I have sent my spirit, now I have saved you. Go, go to these men, open their eyes, turn them from, from darkness to light, turn them from Satan to God. That is what we are all called to do. We are all made to fall on the ground, and we are all shown his 
radiant light. And we are all risen up from our Savior. Remember when we had seen, when Jesus, uh, he, you know, rose people, raised that girl from the dead, he helped her up. Remember when uh, Peter and uh, John had, well, that lame man was healed. Peter helped him up. When you fall in submission to your knees, only the power of Christ will raise you up again. Some people will be, their conscience will be struck and they will fall to their knees in absolute agony and pitying themselves because of their sin. Woe is me, for I am undone, and they will remain broken because they are still without their cross. Repentance outside of the salvation of Christ is merely guilt. And that's all it is. It's just shame. There's no restoration. There's no light from that darkness. Repentance, which remains on its knees, is not raised up to God. So it's a turning from, and it's a turning to. Christ is calling him for this purpose, just like he's called all of us for this purpose. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, because that would be foolish, but declared first to those in Damascus, so he immediately goes. Remember, he was going to Damascus, so now he's in Damascus, you know, and, and he gets taught some, you know, more from Ananias, I'm sure, and even there, even in Damascus, he preaches. He immediately goes to Jerusalem, preaches there. Remember, until Jesus told him, get out of here, they're not going to receive your testimony, and they're going to kill you. So, I, I, was, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, declared to first in Damascus and in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, then to the Gentiles, because that is what Christ had said, right? Terry in Jerusalem, once <laughs> the Spirit comes, go out into Judea, and then to Samaria, and then to the ends of the world. Paul continues to do that. That's why he continued to go to the synagogue first, then once he's kicked out of the synagogue, then he goes outside of, the, of Jerusalem, or the center of Judaism, out to the Gentiles. For these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead, and were proclaimed light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. So, therefore, having obtained help from God, so this is the only reason, this is the only way I still stand before you. Remember, Christ had told him, as you testified to me in Jerusalem, so you will testify to me in Rome. And he knows the only thing that is keeping him alive right now is the providence of God. So he says, uh, therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both to small and great. Remember, Christ even told him, you will, you will testify to me and, and to just base men, you know, just a typical normal Jews and then normal Gentiles. Then I'll deliver you up to princes, governors, and then to kings. And here we are, great and small. He's testifying before a king now. So, oh, and uh, so both small and great saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses would, said would come. Again, this is the fulfillment. Christ is the fulfillment of all of the prophets and of Moses. And so I haven't taught, been teaching anything outside of what the prophets and Moses had said because they're all fulfilled in Christ anyway. And I'm going back to the Old Testament anyway. When we, he was going through the scripture and when he was testifying through the word of God, there was new, no New Testament there. 
There was not yet a New Testament. He was preaching from the, the Torah, from the Old Testament, from the Jewish, Jewish scriptures. So he's saying, I didn't testify, I didn't say anything other than what the prophets and Moses said would come. That the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles for the whole world. So, we've seen in Isaiah, anyway, where, where the Christ was to suffer. The, the one depiction of the resurrection I can kind of point you towards just because we briefly looked at it is that account in Ezekiel with the dry bones, with the valley of the dry bones, and they're all raised up when, you know, they're blown on, and then, you know, sinews, so they're covered with skin. So that is a resurrection. There are others as well, but what Paul is saying is, I am preaching the things which the Jews ought to believe. It's in the Word. It's in the Word of God. So I am not saying anything other than that which the prophets and Moses said would come, which Christ himself fulfilled. Now, as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, so he interrupts, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. I forgot to mention. Um, when in verse 11... When he says, and I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme and being exceedingly enraged against them, I persuaded them even to foreign cities. The, that word enraged literally is where we get the word maniac. Or if we go to Latin, it's insane. So he's saying, I was exceedingly insane against them. I had lost my mind. I didn't know it at the time, but I was wayward. I was gone. It was totally unreasonable. I was a fool. Now, the same word, Festus says with a loud voice, again, when you, say, when you see and read with a loud voice, you've got to say it with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you insane. You're a maniac. I can see you're well learned. There's a thin divide between genius and insanity, you know, madness. And I think you've crossed that line. You know, I know you're well-learned, I know you're very well-educated, and look at you, you're articulating well, all this kind of seems to make sense, but whoa, this is crazy, man. You're talking about resurrection, you talk about, you know, this fulfillment of all these prophets that said that your Messiah, your Savior, was going to come, and he's going to die, you know, and then he was going to be raised, and then he's going to send light out to the Jews and to the Gentiles, so it's not even just for your nation anymore. Whoa, away with this, Paul. You, too, you, you've been reading too much. You, you've been listening to too much you know, professors and all that, you know, calm down, you're insane, you're beside yourself, much learning is driving you mad, but he said, I am not insane, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason, in other words, again, I had been insane, I had been exceedingly insane against them when I was in the same darkness you were in, tell me where any of this is counter to logic. Tell me where any of this is insane, maniacal, or foolish, or untrue, or unreasonable, or irrational. Tell me one thing I've said that doesn't go according to truth. No, I'm not a madman, Festus, most noble Festus, uh, but speak the words of truth and reason, of truth, of absolute truth, from his word and reason, which he does all the, which he did all the time in the synagogues, reasoning with the Jews, you know, and that's what he's saying, though. I speak the words of truth and reason. If you can't handle the truth, try your best to work out the reason. Reason, rationale, will bring us to truth. 
to just hear a statement of truth, which may or may not be true, and just suggest that it's just too outlandish, it cannot possibly be true, without ever actually considering the rationale for it, is foolhardy. It's foolish, and that's what Festus did. That just sounds to be crazy. That's just too good to be true. I mean, sounds reasonable, but it's insane. And, and if he were to hear the testimony of Paul and, say, and hear that he speaks the word of truth and reason, maybe Festus takes the time to think these things through, ultimately to salvation. But he doesn't. He doesn't. But he said, oh, I'm sorry, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king, before whom I also speak freely. No, so now he's addressing Festus, and now he's kind of peeking over to the king. He's like, you know, for the king, before whom I also speak freely. Just so you know, Festus, appreciate the little uproar here, but knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing was not done in a corner. I talked about that. This thing was not done in a vacuum. This whole testimony, the first of all, the law and the prophets and Moses and Christ's ministry and Christ's crucifixion and Christ's resurrection, Christ's ascension, all of that did not happen in a corner. So I know Agrippa, I know you're familiar with this. Your father died the way he did. So I know that had to hit you somewhere. And I know you're convinced of these things. I know you are. So he says, um, since, nothing, since this thing was not done in a quarter, corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Paul knows that he is assented to the information of the prophets. Right? So he is right there. You know, he's got the notitia. He's got the ascensus. He's right there. Paul is, Paul is pleading with him. And we will see it grieves his heart. It grieves the preacher's heart. It grieves any Christian's heart to evangelize, to testify to Christ, to only have the other person, to only have the recipient remain in darkness. So Paul is pushing him toward the truth. This is all reasonable. You know this is all reasonable. You know your prophets. You know Moses. And I know you believe those. Right? So, then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. This is kind of a bad translation. It really says, in such a short period of time, will you persuade me to be a Christian, Paul? In this little bit of time, you really think, just in this brief account, you can get me to become a Christian? This suggests his heart was starting to turn. Basically, he's saying, you think in such a small time period, in other words, maybe with a little more time, Maybe with a little more time I could consider some of this, but I have my sister, I have my incestuous relationship that I would have to put down, and I know that many men and women do not come to Christ because of some other love that they know they will have to rid themselves of should they come. That's Agrippa. That's Agrippa. He knows. He knows his prophets. He knows his Moses. He's still in this incestuous relationship. And now he knows that faith, that fiducia that truly comes through Christ will only manifest in him leaving that relationship. So he loves that God. He loves incest, incest rather than God himself. 
wicked, foolish darkness. And Paul said, oh, I'm sorry. So you almost persuaded me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might, both, might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. This is the plea of any Christian to any fallen men or women. Not that you would be like me, but that you would become a Christian, that you would become a believer. Almost as I am, you know, there are grades of you know, Christian fidelity. So, you know, I, I love it if you became both almost and altogether as I am. Would to God that you be called to be a prophet. You know, you, would to God that you be called to replace me and go, still continue going out to the Gentiles. Would to God you hear this testimony and fall on your knees so that Christ can raise you up. Would to God that you were both just as almost and altogether just as I am, except for my chains. You're the one in chains. You're the one in sh shackles. Be freed from that. I, I would, would be to God that you would be freed from your chains. Then Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Well, when, they, when he had said these things, the king stood up as well as, uh, as well as the governor and Bernice and those who sat with them when they had gone aside and talked among themselves, saying, This man is doing nothing deserving of death or change. So, when Paul had said those things, would to God that you would be almost altogether such as I am, except for these chains. They get up immediately. Remember, Agrippa had said, In such a short period of time, we persuade me to become a Christian? And then, at the first, at the first striking of his conscience, at the first moment of contrition, possible contrition, he leaves. He flees as a coward. And so does Festus and all who were then. So, stood up, they left, they counseled among themselves, and they both all agreed. They all agree now, this man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. So Festus is also agreeing. Festus at least recognizes at this point, all right, that was, that was outlandish. That was a bit haste of me, a bit hasty of me. You know, I understand that it's at least reasonable. This man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. The men that Paul continually has to go before are in chains. That's what I want to illustrate here. Paul is bound, he's imprisoned, and he's going to council after council, and now before a king, before a bunch of imprisoned, shackled men who are living freely in the darkness while Paul is imprisoned in light. Chains do nothing to him. He's mentioned that, remember? <laughs> His life isn't worth anything outside of giving it over to Christ. But he is testifying to fallen men, to imprisoned men, the apostle, the great apostle, bound by the Spirit to be bound by men to testify to them that they themselves 
are bound in sin. And that God has delivered over and over and over in his salvation, his outstretching arm of salvation, does not grow lax, does not grow tired, does not grow weary. God doesn't change. He remains the same. He's just as faithful through his son now for ultimate deliverance. The bondage in Egypt was, was terrible. The tyranny that we have seen in the book of Judges, it's awful. People are having to hide under the rocks. And like I said, these men are people, men like these men, will be seeking shelter under rocks when that day of wrath comes. And Paul is imploring them to turn from the destruction, to turn from the bondage to the light. It's one thing to recognize you're in bondage. All of the people in Jericho knew they were going to be destroyed. One came to salvation. All of those people had the notitia and they had the ascensus. Rahab is the only one who had the fiducia. Paul remains the only one throughout this account. He gives a long testimony after the mob to the mob. And then he gives, you know, again, I think Luke just kind of gives us more brief details. But he goes into specifically the resurrection again. What it suggests to me is that as Christ had called him to be a minister and a witness, it's proper to be a minister in one respect, but once he's before and being judged in a court, he becomes a witness. We saw even in those accounts, he didn't, he didn't talk, really, he specified the resurrection of Christ, which goes back to the law and the prophets. Okay, So he didn't testify to everything else that he did to Agrippa. But, again, he's imprisoned. He's still a prisoner. They even say this man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. They will send him in chains to Rome. He will have a little bit more freedom. He'll still, he'll, you know, as we've seen, he will have visitors. But, we are freed men and women. On the other side of the Red Sea, on the other side of the Jordan, in his promised land, here. His promised land, his promised place, is his presence. Heaven is being with our God. If heaven does not have God, it is in heaven. We think of heaven as this wonderful place. Well, it's going to go down in heaven. What, you know, is there going to be basketball? Is we going to play golf? Definitely think there's going to be a golf course. I think in hell, I'm pretty sure I've said this. Uh, this is from Sproul, though. There's going to be a golf course. But, you know, and it's going to be a beautiful golf course, but no clubs and no balls. <laughs> yeah, in hell, that's kind of the thing. But, you know, so, who knows? But, ultimately, heaven, heaven is the ultimate promised land, which, again, finds its, find its fulfillment still here, when you are in the presence of your Christ, when you are in the presence and praying to God, you are in heaven. That is heaven. It's a taste of it. It's a little glimpse that will have its fuller actualization on that side where we see, where we actually see, where faith is no longer. We do see with our eyes. And that is manifested in a wonderful, spectacular light that we cannot behold on this side 
of the Jordan. Let us seek to be as bold as Paul, as patient as Paul, as determined and committed as Paul, not only to the Jews, but now to the Gentiles, now to even wicked kings, now to even people who are tyrannical against him, who are keeping him imprisoned and making him suffer. Let us reflect the testimony of our Christ who called us to that same call and reflect how he shows that in his men and women. That's what we're doing with the other study, and that's what we continue to do throughout his word. Praise God. Let's pray. Father and our God, thank you for your abundant testimony. Your word is true. It pierces through sinew and heart. Pierce now ours as well. Our hearts, our minds, our souls, that, we, that they may be totally given over to your purpose and to your will. Let it be so, Lord. For this is your promise. This is your promise which you have fulfilled and which your saints throughout the ages praise you for. And that praise shall be unending. So God, as you pierce us with your word of truth, again I ask that you lift our eyes to heaven, that you lift our eyes to you now in this place where we are, that we might praise you without end. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope and pray this has blessed you in your walk with God, and we hope you join us again next week. You have been listening to Sea of Fire Ministries, where the Word of God is life.